0: Hello, Midtown. Good to see you guys this morning. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Thanks for joining us. And I know it's been a good uh, holiday season for everyone. I want to extend special welcome to any families that are visiting. I see some new faces, and maybe you guys are visiting Midtown for the first time, or perhaps you're related to someone who's, who's called Midtown their home. Uh, glad that you've joined us in worship. If I can, they didn't know about this in advance, but there's a very new, very first-time visitor here in the back named Bentley Allen, I think, yeah? Say hi to Kristen and Bentley and Michael. Their baby's a few weeks old, so we we love uh, welcoming the new babies. Congrats, guys. Um, My name is Justin, one of the pastors here, so just want to introduce myself. Um, Also, we're going to start this morning with confession. I hope that's okay. And I'm going to ask you to confess. how, How many of you listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Come on how many of you had your trees or lights up before Thanksgiving? How many of you know that you're supposed to do that after Thanksgiving? And how many have started already? All right, so that's a good start. Just joking. There's no need to repent of that, though you might still take it to the Lord in prayer. I'm not, not sure. Um, but this is actually the time when we can celebrate because we're past Thanksgiving. Um, as we, as we kind of light the Advent candles, we're going to start a new series uh, for five weeks leading up to Christmas, which is really our time to just reflect on the coming of Christ. And so I hope that it's a really significant series that prepares our hearts to really maybe not take in the typical kind of consumeristic way of, of taking on Christmas, but to really seek God during this time. And so we hope that this series uh, helps us do that, prepare. What I really like about this series, we're calling it Come Let Us Adore Him. And what we're going to do is for the next five weeks... We're going to look at five people, or in some cases, groups of people, and their first interactions with baby Jesus, or their first hearing about Jesus coming. And what's going to be really cool is we look at all these five people, they learn something very specific about who Jesus was coming to be. And so with each of the five, we're going to point out one particular revelation of who Jesus is. But then what's going to be really great is you see them all respond according to that revelation in different ways. And each of the ways that they respond actually correspond with some of the things that we try to do on a Sunday morning as we worship together. And so it's going to be real fun for us to look at these characters and how they responded, but then reflect back on what we're trying to do on a Sunday morning, and shouldn't we have some of the same responses as we worship Jesus according to the revelation that we know about Him. And so I think it's going to be really fun. I'll give you a little preview for what we're going to talk about on this first one. I think we might have a slide for it here. Here's the preview. So come let us adore Him. We're going to adore Him as the Savior, Messiah. And then we're going to adore Him by singing. We're going to see the response to the, the shepherd's first indication and the angel's first indication of Jesus, seeing Him as Savior and Messiah that they sang. And so we're going to respond and sing. And what we're going to do each week of these five weeks is we're going to do something a little bit different in our worship service that actually emphasizes the way that they responded. And so today we're going to sing more, which is going to be awesome. So I'm going to talk less, and in the back end, we're going to actually worship and sing, which I think is going to be really special, engage our hearts. So why don't I read the passage that we're going to read from today? It's from Luke 2, 8 through 16, and then I'll pray, and we'll look at how the angels and the shepherds respond to this revelation of Jesus. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, "'Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger.' Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, "'Glory to God in the highest.'" On earth, peace to those whom His favor rests. When the angels had left him, they had gone to heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, "Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about." So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. Let's pray. God, we ask that Your Spirit would would speak to us today. Uh, man's words are nothing, but Your Spirit's the one who interprets to each of our hearts, and so we invite You to be the one that's uh, speaking to each of us. Uh, you know us well, and we invite you to to, to lead us. I ask, especially as we spend some time, extra time in worship, that you would just free us from any hindrance that keeps us from worshiping you, that together as a family, we would joyfully uh, celebrate you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first little kind of part of the story is the angel appears. So we'll look at verse, nine, verse 8 and 9. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. First, let me say a word or two about these shepherds. That these shepherds were like one of the oldest jobs of that time. Sheep were like a huge commodity, prized for their milk that they could produce, and the food that could come from that, important for the the meat that they could that could be eaten, and for the wool. And so, sheep were very important to that day. The only problem with sheep is they would eat up your whole farm. And so farmers had to actually hire other people to help kind of keep the sheep mobilizing all around the, all around the place and eating at different locations, and then bringing them back for whatever the resources they were using them for, the milk, the, the food, or the wool. And so shepherds were actually some of the first people that were hired. They weren't really farmers, but farmers would hire them to take care of their sheep and to bring them back at the proper times. Most likely, these were single guys because of the nomadic life, like they didn't maybe necessarily have families because they were always on the run, always out doing different things. This is why they could come to them in the middle of the night because they had to watch them all through the nights. And their main job was to protect the sheep, make sure no wolves get them or anything else harm would come to them, to make sure that they're well fed and then to bring them back to the owners for their purposes. And I say all that just to say what I love about this is that just these shepherds were just normal people, likely single men, that we're working like a blue-collar type of job. I started thinking, like, what would this be? We don't really have shepherds in our day, but what would it be like if, like, you were writing a play and you wanted to, like, modernize the story? I thought it would be, like, truck drivers. Like, I thought truck drivers, I'm not being, like, demeaning in any, in any way. I'm just saying, like, picture people who are in charge of other people's stuff, and they're in charge of taking it to all the different places. They work nights. They're driving all through the nights. So it would be almost like this angel shows up at a truck stop. Like, that's kind of what's happening here. This angel just shows up in the middle of nowhere to these blue-collar guys and brings us great news. And it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and rightfully, it says, they were terrified. Like, they'd never seen anything like this, right? Imagine you're just kind of doing your business. You're on your night watch. You're watching your sheep, and all of a sudden, an angel appears. And not only angel, it says the glory of the Lord. There was something so glorious about this that they knew it was a Lord. Later, you'll hear them say that the Lord told them, even though it was really the angel that told them but they recognized this was a Lord speaking through this angel, and they were terrified. I started thinking about angels. There's, it's really kind of a complicated study of angels in Scripture. Maybe you call it like angel-ology. Uh, there's really uh, a hard part about really kind of understanding angels is there's very little in the Bible that actually says, here's what angels do or here's what they're about. Really, what you learn is from the narratives what they're doing, and then we interpret what angels are about and what God's purpose is for angels by looking at the narratives when they just show up. And so, really, there's kind of two uh, broad categories. first, let me say angels are, are, are actually very common in Scripture. There are 196 times you see them in Scripture and in 34 of the 66 books of the Bible. So, half the books of the Bible talk about angels. And most importantly, at least in my mind, is Jesus spoke about angels. So, we should have no doubt that these are real occurrences that happen because Jesus spoke so boldly of there being angels as well. There's really kind of two purposes that that angels serve, and I think we're going to look at both of these in this story because we're going to see both of them happening. There's a, a part of angels, one of the services that they have is they actually are serving God, and they're serving God by either being messengers or by being ministers. We'll talk about those in each of a second. The other set of angels that we see throughout Scripture in many of these stories is there's like these observing angels. We don't see them messaging or necessarily ministering to people, but we see them observing God, watching what God does, and ultimately as they watch what God does, they begin to worship God. So their eyes are on God the whole time. Let's think first about the serving type of angels because this is the first one that comes in this story. It's a messaging angel. It's someone one who comes with a message from God to his people. You see this throughout Scripture. You see it in Luke. If we get back in our study of Acts that will continue in the spring, angels appear in Acts. You Think about the angels that spoke to Daniel, to Abraham. Like this was a messaging angel, often would come with words, and we'll see that a lot during this Christmas story. But there's a second set of angels that weren't just giving words, but they would actually minister. And I think about Jesus. Think about when Jesus was tempted. If you're familiar with that passage, for 40 days before he started his ministry, he was tempted by the devil. And each time he refuted the devil... With words from Scripture. And after the last time it says that angels came and ministered to Jesus and strengthened him during his fast. Or during the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's praying, Father, if there's any way that you could take this cup from me, if there's any way that I don't have to die tonight. And he says, But not my will, but your will. He ultimately submits to God the Father's will, and it says that angels came and attended him. A few hours later, or maybe even moments later, Peter, you know, when the people come to arrest arrest Jesus, Peter chops off a guy's ear in defense of Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, don't do that. He heals the guy's ear, and he says, did you not know if I didn't want this to happen, I could call down a legion of angels to dismiss this crowd and, and not be arrested? So Jesus spoke of angels, in the, and he was actually ministered to in his humanness. Angels. So there's angels that minister to us. Probably one of the most direct scriptures in Hebrews one, Hebrews chapter one says that angels are ministering spirits sent by God to serve those who have inherited eternal life. And so we have angels in the spiritual realm that minister to us who've inherited eternal life. That's the serving God angels. But then there's this other set of angels. It's the observing angels. They watch what God's doing. And angels are not omniscient. They don't know everything. We'll point to this a little bit later uh, in the the message here this morning, but they don't know everything, and so they're watching, and what you'll see repeatedly throughout Scripture, and you'll see in this passage, often they don't know what's happening or the timing of it, but they expect that when something happens that God did that they knew He was going to do, and they see it in time, their spontaneous response is to worship. We're going to look at that together. So they're watching, and they're worshiping. Those are the two types of angels and categories, and even the two that we'll see in this passage. So let's look at what the angel says. The angel, the messaging angel says this, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of, Beth- uh, town of David, a savior is born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He will be assigned to you. This will be assigned to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. So his first words, of course, are the ones that you see most often from angels when the messaging angel appears. They often have to say, don't be afraid because they were terrified. They'd never seen anything like this. And he real calmly explains to them right away, like, hey, I'm bringing good news. Like, this isn't a bad visit. This is a good visit. And he answers a couple questions. What is this about? He says, I'm bringing you good news. And what's it supposed to produce in you? This news will produce great joy. Hold on to that because I want us to think and dwell on this idea of, of this news should produce joy in us. And then he answers a third question. Who is this news for? The news is for all peoples. Don't miss that, that in a little town of Bethlehem, as we sing, just one little town came the good news for all creation, all peoples. That's what the angel first reveals, but then he reveals the truth. What is this good news? The good news is that today, like this all starts today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. He's announcing that this very day God has done this thing that you've been hoping for and waiting for, As Jewish men, they likely knew the Scriptures and knew that there was this hope of a Messiah, someone that they hoped in that was going to come and and rule them and be their king and provide a new kingdom. He was going to save them. They didn't know, of course, that His first coming was going to be at the time to save them from sins and not necessarily to come in an earthly rule and become a king in an earthly sense, that He was coming to be a heavenly king. But this long-awaited person that, that any Jewish person would have been hoping for and waiting for they come with this great news like today is the day a savior's been born. I was trying to think of illustrations they're all going to fall short, short of the, the way that in Israel uh, someone in Israel was hoping for a Messiah but I started thinking, what are some situations that I've had friends in or, or know of in history where people longed for something and waited and waited? I've recently had several friends over the last number of years who've been waiting for like green cards. They they weren't quite citizens, or they needed visas to be able to stay in the country, and and they were just always impending this date that was like, this date's coming up, and if you don't get it, you have to go back to your country. Imagine them just waiting every day, checking their email or checking their mail, just waiting. Is it going to come, or am I going to have to go somewhere else? Can I be part of this kingdom in the United States, or do I belong to another? I was thinking too of uh, POWs. Imagine being a POW. Uh, We've got on our next uh, street next to us, we've got a survivor of World War II that was a uh, POW. uh, We call him Clem, or he's Mr. Brinkman. And Mr. Brinkman will tell you the story of how he was captive and he was taken as a POW and not knowing if he was going to live or if he was going to die, if the war was over, if it was not. And the whole time just hoping like, is there a savior? Is there going to be a country? Are we going to get to go home? Is this war going to be over? Or to think of uh, the plight uh, in our country of, of African Americans who were longing for freedom for so long and singing songs of expecting that freedom and hoping and waiting, would there be a day that we would be free? It's that same kind of longing, but even, even more so that Israel was waiting for this day. And this is what they announced like, today is the day the Savior's been born right here in this town. And it was good news. I mentioned it briefly, but, of course, they misunderstood. If you read the rest of the New Testament, you see that there was a lot of misunderstanding about what kind of Messiah that they were hoping for. Many thought that this Messiah was actually going to come be like a physical ruler, that they were going to then conquer the Romans and set up their own empire, and there was a lot of misunderstanding, and and when Jesus started His life and His ministry, it became more clear to those who truly stayed faithful to Him and following Him that He wasn't going to be a Savior that was going to rule. That was going to come later but he was going to save people, not from the Romans, but save people from their own sin. That We recall that Jesus came to be the Savior of our sin and not just the ruler in an earthly sense. That's why it says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. Jesus came as Savior to reconcile us to God by paying the penalty for our sin. This was the Savior. This was the Messiah that had come on that day. So the question is... How did they respond? Well, before they have a chance to respond, someone else responds for them. Picking up the story in 13, it says, Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. So now you've got this other thing. I didn't mention it before, but the word angel Throughout the Bible, is kind of there's, there's loose terms that are used for angel all throughout the Bible. And so here you've got this angel that was the messaging angel that spoke something to people, but now you've got what's called the heavenly hosts and a great company of them. So now there's like this huge group of angelic beings who come, and they're witnessing to what the messenger had said, and their response to the good news that a Savior has come is to praise God. We'll talk in a minute about how we think that's perhaps singing, but either way, they praised God, saying glory to God, highest in the heaven, on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. Their first response to hearing the good news, the proclamation by this messenger angel, is to jump in line and say, now's the day, today's the time, let's praise God. This should be our response to the gospel. It really should. Like to think that God would come to earth, that he would pay the penalty for our sins, and that good news upon its proclamation should instantly fill up with us This joy that the messenger said, this is what it's supposed to produce. And the angels come and they attend and they give praise to what God was doing at that time. I mentioned before that angels don't have, they're not omniscient. So they, you can see throughout Scripture that they know certain things are going to happen, but they don't know the time. Think about when Jesus sometimes, he would approach people that were demon-possessed and the demons would actually, they would call out sometimes and say, Jesus, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, have you come to destroy us before it's time? That even... The demon angels knew that there was a Messiah, that there was Jesus, that he was going to destroy them, but they didn't know the time. Or or when Jesus is talking about his second coming to his disciples, he says that no man, no angels will know the time, that only the Father knows the time. And so the angels, they have some understanding of what God's plans are, but they don't know the time. And that's why when they had this time, they say, Today is the day that the response is worship. Like, it's happening. Look at what says in First Peter. It's a really particular passage that I like in First Peter one. It says concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come, to you searched intently with greatest care. So all these prophets who had long written about the Messiah, they were they were writing about it. They were they were studying it. They wrote with great care, and they were trying to find out the time and circumstances in which the Spirit of Christ in them, was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So all these Old Testament writers that were pointing to the prophetic words of the coming of Christ, both His sufferings and the glories that were to come, they were writing, they knew it was going to happen, but they didn't know when. It says it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you, meaning you guys are on the other side of the story, all the prophecies have pointed to it, and now Christ has come. And in our case, Christ has come and He's died and He's rose again. They've been told to you who've preached the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent to you from heaven. And then this last line, even the angels look into these things, that there was this great company of angels that was waiting the day, and upon the proclamation of the messenger angel that today is the day, the response is worship. Now, if you want to look real strictly at 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 the words that were used, it doesn't say that they sang. It says that they praised God. It says that they praise God. So maybe some of our Christmas carols might be a little off, but I would argue that there's at least two reasons to believe that this praising God was actually singing. One, because we know that's one way that we praise God. So praising God is by our singing. But maybe more powerfully, there's another scripture where you do see the angels actually singing. So we know that it's something that they do. And that can be found in Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation 5, that's kind of a different context. It's almost like uh, like we're seeing here in, in Luke, we're going to see it again in Revelation, but this time the angels aren't looking curiously about when is the time that the Messiah is going to come. Now the angels are looking intently at when is the Messiah going to come back. And if you're familiar with Reve- uh, the Revelation, there's these scrolls, and the scrolls, when they're opened, was what, what's going to indicate the beginning of the end of time, that once these scrolls are open, that, that starts everything for Jesus coming back. And once again, we find the angels, the observing angels, watching and waiting And they're asking the question, who is worthy to open these scrolls? And then this is what they say in response to saying, Jesus is the one who can open the scrolls. He's the one. It says, and they sang a new song. Here's what they said. Here's what they sang. You're worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain with your blood. You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom of priests, to serve our God, and they will reign on this earth. And I looked, and I heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature In heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea, and all that's in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory forever and ever. Angels do sing. They're observing what God's doing in the world, and their response to the good news that Jesus has come, and in this case, the response to the good news that Jesus is coming back, is to circle around God, thousands upon thousands, and to sing and worship him. And their primary cry is, Jesus is worthy. Our response to the gospel, the good news, should be the same, that we worship God with our singing, we respond to God by saying, God, you are worthy. And that's what we want to make some extra time to do today, to join, so to speak, with the angels and respond to the gospel the same way that they did, starting off with worship and praise of what God has done in coming to earth to be our Savior and the Messiah. Let me take a break from the passage and just give you a few ideas on why I think singing is important. Uh, First of all, uh, there's 400 examples of people singing to God in the Bible, and so we know that people did it. (laughs) And so we look at those examples and say it must be worthy of our response. Uh, Besides just the 400 examples, there's 50 commands that command us to sing, and so we're actually commanded to sing. But we don't want to just sing out of duty because we're commanded to do so. We want to sing in response to what God's done for us. I have a few thoughts as to why singing is so important to our spiritual lives. One is that there's power in audible words. There's something powerful about actually speaking or singing truths out that actually gets into your heart when you speak them rather than just think them. Think about Romans 10, 9. It's a great verse on salvation. It says those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved. Our salvation isn't just something that we profess quietly in our hearts. We speak it. And when we speak it and we confess with our mouth, something becomes real in our heart. It's a form, truly, of spiritual warfare. You can read in the Old Testament several stories where God actually won wars just because people were singing. That's why corporate prayer is so important, because we don't just pray quietly in our hearts. We vocalize our prayers together. There's something that happens when we put words audibly out that gets to our heart. The second reason I love this one is that it helps us remember truth like singing songs, actually gets some of the words and truths deeper down into our hearts. For one thing, it helps us memorize words, right? You can probably memorize tons of different songs easier than you can memorize just your Bible, right? So there's, there's truth that when we're actually singing songs, what we're doing is we're creating memories that help us more easily remember. But more than that, when we sing of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us, like we're going to do in response today... It's a chance for us to actually let those things sink into our hearts in a way that doesn't happen if we're just reading words. It's powerful. A third reason is that it helps uh, connect with our emotions. And before you start thinking, well, emotions don't really matter, I want you to think that Jesus said that the greatest command is that we would love God with all of our heart, our mind, and our soul, all of our strength. And I ask God, where, where does our emotions fit into that? But sure, we're supposed to love God with our mind, engage maybe in a sermon or in reading or study. We're supposed to love God with our strength by serving one another and doing things with our hands. But we're supposed to love God with our heart. And one of the ways that we can get our emotions connected to God is through singing. It's just the way that God wires things. And it's appropriate for us to actually try to engage in things that will engage our hearts. And worship does that. But most powerfully, and I think the most important thing I want to share, is that you that worship unites us as a body. Think about how, like, when you sing a song, particularly like a song that only you know and other people that know it, like, like take a fight song. You know how it, like, kind of pulls you together, like, as a community? UT's fight song is kind of more like a lament at this point. So, you know, we just, but, but, but A&M's fight song really isn't about them, it's about us. So, it's like, they've got that problem too. Sorry, Aggies. But think about how songs actually unite you. Songs give you a sense of being a corporate body that when you're singing the same things, it's almost like reading a creed, that we're, we're declaring something together, and it unites the body of Christ. I didn't have a slide for this, but I find this one scripture to be extremely powerful. It's in Colossians 3, and, and Paul's writing to Colossians, and he's telling them how they should worship. Verse 16, Colossians 3, let the, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So this is the goal, like we want the gospel to, to dwell in us richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, so part of that's by teaching each other, and admonishing each other. But listen to how he says we're supposed to do it. Teach and admonish each other with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Do you get that? Like part of the way that we help the message of Christ dwell in us richly is to sing it over each other. He's saying the way that you get this, this gospel deeper into your heart is by singing these songs over each other. And so I want to say, and this is very powerful to me, when we sing on a Sunday morning, I want you to understand it's not, about, it's not all about you. Like we hope that you would connect with God and worship in a song, but there's a whole other element that when you're singing, even if the song means nothing to you, your proclamation of it is singing gospel truths over everyone in this room. And so we have to get beyond kind of the consumer mindset of like, i got to come to worship, and I need songs that minister to me. While we want that, and that's good too, we also have to understand that the purpose, one of the purposes of worship, is that we're actually admonishing each other. And the Word of Christ is growing deeper in the hearts of the people around you as you sing. And so singing is not just about meeting your needs. It's about meeting the needs of the whole body of Christ, and it helps unite us as a body by doing so. I'll close by just giving a few thoughts on on kind of our worship here. Uh, one of the things we want to do with this, this series is we want to look at the way that people responded to the news about Jesus, but then talk about how we're trying to implement it in our services on Sundays. Uh, first, I just want to say thanks to our worship team, that these guys do an incredible job. And if you don't know, none of them are paid. There's not even a stipend for anyone who's on our worship team, that they do it just joyfully out of the the... the Kindness of their hearts, and they sacrifice a lot, and worship, and practice, and get up here early, and do everything. So I want to, uh, I want us to honor them, and hope that you would do the same. If you're a partner at Midtown, uh, within the last few few weeks, you actually received a survey. So we sent a survey, just trying to better understand what kind of preferences people have worship-wise. And we were we were thrilled that like almost eighty people responded to it. Might even be over eighty now, but a huge percentage of our partners responded to the survey. And we love the feedback, and the feedback has, has helped the worship team kind of now as we get into this new space it's helped us think through, like, what are our people? What are their preferences? And how then can we shape our worship that really meets people's needs and helps us proclaim the gospel over each other? And they've been making some changes and are going to continue to do so in the coming weeks and months, and, and I just want to honor them for, for taking those steps. And I want to thank you for your input. That said, I want to say kind of pastorally just a few things, just to remind you. That there's no right way to worship. There's no right or wrong. So, there's no right style or wrong style. There's no right instruments or bad instruments. There's no right volume or wrong volume. There's no right order of service or wrong order of service. There's no right way to express yourself in worship and wrong way to express yourself in worship. These are all just preferences, and we're all different because we all have different backgrounds. And more than just having different backgrounds and styles that we prefer and our preferences, we're also all at different places spiritually and emotionally. So one day you might walk in, and I need this kind of song. And the next week you walk in, you're like, oh, I need this kind of song. And that's just the reality of us all being different and being at different places, even different places as a person, like week to week, the needs that we have. And so I, I just want to just commend us not to let worship be a divisive issue, but let it to be something that, that perhaps there's a song that's not your favorite, to be reminded that then, well, if it's not for you where you're at right now, then you sing it out loud and sing it over those who need it because that's what we do when we worship as a body. I'd like to urge you uh, to engage in worship even as we sing these last songs, however God puts in your heart, but I want us to join the angels in worshiping God for the good news that He's given us, that a Savior has come, that there is a Messiah who's paid The penalty for our sins and saved us from them. I'll look back real quickly. One last thing as we look back to the story. In verse 15, it says, when the angels had left them, they'd gone to heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and a baby who was lying in a manger. I love this. They responded. They said, let's go, let's go check it out. And I love that it says they hurried like, we better go fast. We want, to, we want to go see this. This is great news. Let's go, let's go see. And so in closing, we're just, I just want to commend you to do the same, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, to take the next step to pursuing Jesus, to hurry like they did, to hurry after him. Maybe you've heard this good news time and time again, and you've never really responded in faith. Maybe today, is a day that you respond in faith and say, yes, Jesus, I come to you and ask for forgiveness for my sins and thank you for paying the price for my sins. Maybe you've been walking with God for a long time and you're, you're stagnant. I, wanna, I just want to ask you to hurry after Jesus, to come after him, to respond to this good news and not just hear from the angels, so to speak, and just sit there, but to run after him. And one of the more tangible ways that we have to run after him, because it stirs our hearts, is to come to the table, to come each week during worship, to come to communion and say, Jesus, I'm coming after you. And I want to invite you with that spirit as we take communion. During this whole next song, we're going to sing about four songs here at the end. Well, not about, we're singing four songs <laughs> at the end. And any time during that time, I'd invite you to come to the table and respond in worship. And as you take the bread, and as you take the cup, I want you to think about Hurrying after Jesus, responding to the good news with joy. I'd hope that you would stand with us and worship, sing over yourself, and let's sing over our whole fellowship. Let's worship God together. As the worship team comes forward, I'll close this in prayer. You can take communion at any time uh, during this last set of songs. God, we ask for your spirit just to, to be present with us right now, that even as we worship, our hearts would fully engage, that you would give us this joy. You, you came down and you told these shepherds that it was good news, that a Savior's been born, and what it would produce would be great joy for all peoples. We ask, God, for all peoples that are here that you would produce in us today great joy, not just in this next few minutes of worship, but ongoing joy as we rejoice in the good news of the gospel.